The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues, Ocean River Shields of Achilles, with your host, Dr. Rob Moyer. Find out what others are doing and what you can do to create a greener and blue planet Earth. Now, here's Dr. Rob Moyer. Hello, welcome. Today, we're talking about Northeast Ocean Planning in the Atlantic Ocean up there off the Northeast, off of New England. And it's involving 28 federal, state, and tribal groups from Westport, Connecticut to Eastport, Maine. And so to help me comprehend the extensiveness and complexity of all this and to talk about uh, collaborative grassroots efforts within, uh, my guest today is Amy Bushman. Hello, Amy. Hey, Rob. How's it going? Great. This is great. We get to be on the radio when we're neighbors in Somerville, but we have to, you know, arranged to be on national radio in order to talk to each other. Yeah, you know, it's, it's more professional that way, I guess. Yeah, you know, it's easier than walking around the corner and asking for a cup of sugar or something. <laughs> Next time we'll do it that way. Well, I, I don't think anyone else would hear us, though. You know, that's the problem. Is it? Yeah. So I'm really <laughs> glad you took the time to, um, you know, go through all the complexities of connecting up with Voice America and getting onto the radio and talking to me about this stuff. So... Um, I know where you live, but uh, tell us about your work and um, who you work for. Yeah, so I am uh, with the Conservation Law Foundation, um, and CLF is based in Boston, but is a regional uh, nonprofit um, from, and we have offices obviously in Massachusetts and Boston, but um, including Rhode Island, um, all the way up to Maine. And so um, in my capacity at CLF, I am the Ocean Planning Outreach Manager, and so um, I think that speaks for itself. I'm, you know, involved in all things ocean planning in the Northeast, um, and I also facilitate and direct the New England Ocean Action Network, which is a, a diverse uh, network of ocean users and stakeholders um, who are invested and interested in the regional ocean planning process in the Northeast. So that's really great. You're helping us small groups and grassroots groups have a voice. You know, you help us get together and stuff, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's, um, it's a really diverse gang in NEON, right? So we have, um, of course, uh, the Ocean River Institute, Rob. You're a NEON member um, and have been very active over the years in ocean planning. Uh, but we also have um, renewable energy and offshore wind firms and organizations to commercial fishermen, um, to advocates and organizations um, that work with coastal communities, um, as well as recreation and marine trades, you name it, um, it's, it's represented in our, our network. And so um, the folks who uh, decide to join NEON um, do so for various reasons, whether that's 
um, you know, they're interested in ocean planning. They know they need to stay abreast on current events and the process here in New England. Um, and so that's, that's my job. You can kind of consider me to be your ocean planning sales associate. Uh, but then we have organizations, um, you know, much like Ocean River Institute, who are very invested in um, the regional ocean planning process here in New England and um, work with NEON as a NEON member to provide input and comment um, and uh, uh, weigh in on the process and to ensure essentially that stakeholder engagement is um, a big component and priority in the regional ocean plan. Yes, thank you for all those good words about the Ocean River Institute. If people want to know more about um, our involvement there, you can go to our website, oceanriver.org, www.oceanriver.org, and you'll see six causes, and one of them is uh, ocean planning, which I've decided to call clam chowder science. <laughs> so you, you can uh, click on that to, to learn more about uh, many of the planning efforts, and one of the things we're celebrating right now is that President Obama has just last month set aside 4,900 square mile stretch of ocean to create the first protected marine area in the Atlantic Ocean. It's called the Northeast Canyons and Seamounts National Marine National Monument. And it's about 150 miles offshore, off of Cape Cod, right at the, where the, the Georges Banks and the Continental Shelf gives way to the open ocean and the canyons plunge 10,000 feet down. And then there are these seamounts that come up, you know, further offshore. And the president has permanently protected these wondrous ocean places from overfishing, oil and gas exploration, and high-tech mineral mining. And so prohibited our trawls and purseining, which had been being done for the loglio squid, and the whiting and the mackerel. The dredge, you're no longer allowed to dredge out there for scallops or shellfish. They weren't actually dredging for that. Um, and gill nets and long lining has been, uh, has been banned as well, uh, and that was being done for swordfish, yellowfin, and skipjack. So the gill netting and long lining was all over, including over the seamounts, but the, uh, the bottom trawls, persaining and dredging, those would be uh, in the less than 500 meters of water, which is a ribbon around the edges, the north ends of the three canyons that are protected on Georgia's, in, into Georgia's banks there. But what's really amazing about these seamounts is that they're black basalt. They're volcanic, and they stick up, and the basalt is extraordinarily porous, and it has a lot of surface area, gnarly you know, seamounts, and so this acts like a sponge absorbing rare minerals that are in the seawater. Uh, and over millions of years. And so these minerals are uh, being sequestered and they form a, a hydrogenous ferromagnese crust that's paving these jagged surfaces of the seamounts. And in, the, in that crust are these high-tech metals and rare earth minerals, which are, they have these same kind of crusts in ancient seamounts in China, um, and that's where they have been mining and that's why, and then the Chinese don't permit the minerals to leave, so they have to manufacture in China. And the minerals, at, uh, the metals, the high-tech metals include uh, tellurium, and this is combined with bismuth in an alloy that is being tested as the next-generation computer chip that is the most efficient and immensely faster than existing computer chips. And then tellurium is 
combined with cadmium into another alloy that is considered the best material for production of the multi-terawatt solar cell electricity using thin film photovoltaic technology. So the, um, the solar panel industry is looking to mining tellurium from Atlantic seamounts. They'd rather do it from Pacific seamounts because it's older ocean and there's more stuff in the, in the rock, but they're protected by the National uh, Pacific Island, Hawaiian Island National Monument out there. So the president has used the Antiquities Act to do what Congress could not do, which is they now have to make those, they have to mine the materials for solar panels in the mountains of California instead of, and then this is you know, creating more jobs, than the easier way of taking a wrecking ball to the tops of the seamounts. So it's very exciting, but what, as a guy who's into planning, what amazed us, and it's something we've been working for at the Ocean River Institute for over a year, is asking them to recognize the president's national ocean policy of collaborative planning. And so this uh, act by the president does just that. We've been saying that, sure, you know, Interior could manage Yellowstone National Park, but a piece of ocean, especially one beginning 130 miles offshore off of Cape Cod, um, is a little more complicated. And, and this has been reflected in the president's action. For the first time, uh, a federal area is being managed by both the Secretary of Interior in concert or in partnership with the Secretary of Commerce. So we've got a twofer there. And then the, in managing, you know, then they have to consult with um, any other federal agencies whose jurisdiction, who, who's got an oar in to that piece of ocean, those canyons and seamounts off there, so that they, you know, in the planning process. And finally, unprecedented is that the um, document recognizes as the, uh, the Northeast Ocean Regional Planning Group that we're talking about uh, and refers to it as a strongly collaborative group. Uh, so this is historic. Uh, this is, oh, and since 1916, they're letting some people of the seascape stay in the, in the region. Uh, they're permitting the lobstermen who are lobstering down to 500 meters to continue to lower their traps and pull up lobsters, the ones that climb into the traps, um, for another seven years. So it's very exciting that, um, that this is a new kind of, um, federal area. And, and so, Amy, tell us a bit about this strong and collaborative group. Yeah, so I think um, you bring up an important point, Rob. Um, yeah, absolutely. We um, just uh, achieved a, the first Atlantic uh, Marine Monument in, um, in New England, and it's um, very exciting indeed. And um, it was largely facilitated through the use of the Antiquities Act. And so that's um, I think uh, an effort that's you know solely housed within the executive branch, and much in the way, as you said, um, Roosevelt created Yellowstone. Um, Obama, the President Obama, essentially went through um, the same process to establish this monument. And so, on the other end of the spectrum, in 2010, uh, President Obama created an executive order that brought about the National Ocean Policy. Um, and so this is a, a totally separate process um, that is largely driven by federal agencies 
um, with a stake in ocean management. And what came about is, um, you know, this document basically calls for better stewardship of our oceans as a nation, and it, you know, recommends many great um, efforts and opportunities for federal agencies to do so. But I think uh, one of the most unique opportunities that came about as a result of the National Ocean Policy is uh, the creation of regional ocean plans. And this is a game changer. Um, and uh, it's, it's really exciting, and uh, it's largely driven by the federal agencies. And so New England um, already has a long history in ocean planning, or at least in terms of uh, the national concept of ocean planning. Uh, the first ocean plan at the state level was created by uh, Massachusetts, um, quickly followed by Rhode Island. And so when the national ocean policy came about calling for regional plans, um, of the similar nature, um, it was, um, you know, not surprising at all that New England became the first um, in the nation to begin the process, and they did so. They uh, convened a regional planning body um, that uh, began in 2012, and this regional planning body um, essentially consists of uh, federal agencies, state representatives, um, there are two representatives from each state, including Vermont, though Vermont only has one. Um, it also includes um, recognition and membership from federally recognized tribes in New England, um, six in total, and it also includes ex officio members um, from Canada as well as New York. Um, and that makes sense, right? We share a border, we share waters. It's important to cross uh, share information. And so, um, they've been working diligently since 2012 uh, to produce a regional ocean plan um, that brings a lot of great opportunities and um, data and science um, and this renewed and formalized embrace of robust stakeholder engagement when it comes to making decisions on the water for ocean management. Um, and uh, they've worked diligently for several years and they actually just submitted the Northeast Ocean Plan uh, yesterday, I think, to the National Ocean Council uh, for approval and ultimately implementation this year. That is a huge accomplishment. Uh, it was about three years of meetings? I think over three years. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Isn't that amazing? I think it's closer to four. Um, and you're right. It's, you know, not only huge, it's historic, really. It's the first ocean plan of its kind in the nation, the first regional plan. Um, and what's important to note is that, um, you know, lots of amazing things come with this plan, including uh, the creation of the Northeast Data Portal, which houses thousands of layers of data, spatial data, maps on human uses, to fisheries um, and marine life and habitats, um, and it also comes with it, um, you know, very concrete language and timelines through which these agencies um, are essentially buying in and committing to engaging stakeholders early. One, using the best available science that you can find on the data portal um, and incorporating that into their, um, their current existing laws and regulations. Um, so this is yeah. non-regulatory, but it basically makes what we're doing now um, with our existing laws even better. 
That's a good point. It's not regulatory. It's not making decisions, but it's really building the decision-making process from the bottom up instead of top-down control. It's really engaging everyone they can and being inclusive in having people have an opportunity to have input uh, and for the agencies to be in communication with one another instead of being in silos. It's just fantastic. We're going to have to take a short break, and we'll be right back uh, to learn more with Amy Bushman about Northeast Ocean Regional Planning. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. On a Cape Cod shore, 16 striped bass fish and a horseshoe crab were found dead, killed by a harmful algal bloom. The town blamed excessive lawn fertilizer for polluting the water. They restricted lawn fertilizing to once a year. The state overruled, mandating five times a year. Though the striped bass died on a Falmouth shore, fertilizer pollution is a national problem, clogging our waterways. If you believe in our rights to clean water and beaches, if you want to stop the killing of fish by excessive fertilizer, please join with us. Make a donation for responsible stewardship. Acting together, we can have clean beaches and more fish. Please visit www.donateforoceans.org. That is www.donate4oceans.org. Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Hey, we're back with Amy Bushman from the Conservation Law Foundation talking about planning these coastal waters and ocean waters of New England and adjacent areas. Um, well, I guess we're just doing New England waters and federal waters that go out 200 miles. 
Uh, Amy, uh, how can people learn more about your work and uh, maybe get in contact with you? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, a few ways. Um, certainly look at, um, if you want to learn more about our role in regional ocean planning, you can go to www.clf.org. Um, and then if you want to learn more about NEON and what we do and ways to get involved uh, through that avenue, you can go to newenglandoceanaction.org. Um, and then, of course, you can always reach out to me via email at abushman at clf.org. That's A-B-U-S-H-M-A-N at clf.org. So lots of ways to reach out to me. Yeah, I invite people to do that. Amy's very good at responsive, responding. She's one of the most responsive people I know. To um, We get so many emails, and, and you rise above the chaos to respond quickly. I appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you. No problem. It's a pleasure. Um, so it, it was really exciting going to these meetings of the uh, Northeast Ocean Planning Group um, because people came from all over. There were 11 federal agencies uh, attending the meeting. So there was, you know, um, the, the Energy Regulatory Commission representative was there. Uh, New England Fisheries Management Council person was there. Joint Chiefs of Staff person is coming down from the Navy. Oh, that was Joe. Yeah, so Joe was in the Navy, but he's listed here as... as um, and then uh, Department of Agriculture had someone down. And then with Commerce, it was uh, NOAA's person, Betsy, Betsy Nicholson, who co-led the group, um, along with um, Department of Defense had someone from the uh, U.S. Department U.S. Department of Energy had somebody, U.S. Department of Homeland Security, Interior, Transportation, and the EPA, you know, they'd all get together. And then from states, we had two people from Massachusetts, two from Connecticut, two from Maine, two from New Hampshire, two from Rhode Island, and then one from Vermont. So it was 11 uh, state representatives. And then there were t 10 tribal uh, nations or members of the Northeast Regional Ocean Planning Body. And they were headed up by the Aroostook Band of Micmacs, all nations consulting. So Richard would drive down from... Uh, Northern, northern Maine, you know, right? That their um, their nation straddles the U.S. and Canada. There was the Holton, there is the Holton Band of Maliseet Indians. There's the Mash Nantucket Pequot Tribal Nation, the Mashpee Wapanoag Tribal Council, the Mohegan Indian Tribe of Connecticut, the Passamaquoddy Tribe of the Indian Township Reservation and the Passamaquoddy Tribe of Pleasant Point Reservation. And one of those Passamaquoddy tribes, maybe both, ended up having a longer drive than the Micmac because the roads are so bad in Maine that it, it took him took him longer to get to, say, like Cambridge, Massachusetts, where we had one of the meetings once. So. Also present are Penobscot uh, Indian Nation, the Narragansett Indian Tribe of Rhode Island, and the Wampanoag Tribe of Gayhead Aquina. Uh, so it's really, really interesting. There was a meeting where um, uh, Mike uh, Fogarty from um, Woods Hole, uh, the uh, National Marine Fisheries Science Center, and he co-presented with the chief from the Mashpee Nation. And uh, he would talk about the science of the shad in the river, and then the chief would talk about the, the kind of natural history of the shad in the river. And it's just, so whether or not the plan ever went anywhere, the, the gathering, and of course it is, but... Um, 
The reason these things succeed, and they take forever, but the spin-off benefits of all the bilateral meetings, the stuff that happens, you know, between the, the formal sit-down stuff is just, and the, and the sit-down stuff is just so engaging that um, we are all very grateful for these regional planning bodies being called for by government. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, yeah, and uh, it's, it's maybe, I think over the course of several years, they would meet, you know, I think quarterly throughout the year, but a tremendous amount of work was being done between um, those public meetings, and including um, the formation of various work groups that, um, you know, of course, included membership from the RPD, but also, um, you know, leading researchers in New England and, uh, and scientists, um, including the Ecosystems-Based Management Work Group, um, et cetera. And so um, it's, it's been just a tremendous lift. And this is really, I think, the first time, and I can say that confidently, that um, federal agencies and state agencies as well as tribes in New England are sitting together collectively at the table talking about um, data and ocean planning and, um, you know, what does that mean and what could be feasible and how that would look um, in a regional ocean plan. And it's really the first time, um, you know, all three groups um, have had a conversation of that nature to, um, you know, such a big, um, leading up to such a huge achievement as, this ocean plan in New England? It's huge. Before this, there was incoherent federal planning, you know, and there was inconsistent oversight of ocean places and coastal places, and there was a lack of transparency in the decision-making. So you'd have, you know, like you'd have to do a beach renourishment program, and the Army Corps would come in and say, okay, we're going to do this and take the sand from there or something. And that, all it, that's what the, when they're telling the community is when, the fisheries division would hear about it, and then they'd say, no, that's where the fish eggs are. Take it from over there. And so this way, everyone's got everyone else who's important to them on speed dial, so they know the middle managers know who to call in the other agencies, both federal and state and who this, and tribal, and, and who the, the scientists and the interest groups are involved in your issue. So it's just fabulous, you know, Rolodexes that are coming out of this uh, this effort. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, the, the ocean plan um, lays it all out uh, pretty clearly, um, and it breaks it down to, you know, how are we going to break down those silos between federal agencies, between federal agencies and states, and then between, you know, everyone and potentially affected stakeholders. Um, and so uh, at the very heart of that process is, of course, early coordination and engagement, right? Um, bringing everybody together, using the best available science early, um, and sharing information and processes, you know, across agencies that could be affected and, you know, really baking in, uh, you know, these, these stakeholders who could be impacted by, you know, various projects on the ocean early into the conversation um, to be able to make the best decision that would, you know, lessen conflict or, you know, hopefully avoid it altogether. Um, and I think the data portal um, is a really tremendous tool um, to add um, and utilize um, for that, that overarching mission. Yeah, let's look at that. This is really cool. There's a Northeast Ocean Data Portal, and its website is www.northeastoceandata, 
all one word, northeastoceandata.org. And if you go to that page, you'll see, um, what is it? It's like five by um, three, 15, 16 different photographs of different activities. There are human activities. There's marine life. There's environment. And each one of those, so I'm looking at the page here, and there's one that says marine mammals. And so you hit on that one. A lot of interest in marine mammals around here. And it takes you to a, a chart, a map of um, the whole Northeast from uh, uh, Newfoundland down to um, south of the Chesapeake a little bit. And um, mapped there are all the marine mammals, all the cetaceans, all the whales and dolphins, that um, the total abundance that they've done the modeling to figure it out. And to me, this is just, I've never seen anything like it because heretofore, my, you know, we only knew the whales that we were seeing. So, yeah, we know there's a lot of whales on Spellwagon Bank off of uh, Boston because that's where all the whale watchers are going for 30 years. But uh, here it says, no, no, most of the whales are right along the edge of the continental shelf in terms of total number of whales. And then you can drill down into this. So you can, um, that's for all cetaceans. You can look at it by habitat and see, you know, where the baleen whales are. And you can look at species risk richness. Or you can go into, you know, species of concern or um, uh, specific, uh, here we go, individual species of, of cetaceans. And so you can click right down to... Uh, you know, right whales and, and see that the right whales, how they move around uh, month to month, you know, through, you know, the coastal waters and when they come in and stuff. Or you can click on sperm whales and see that sperm whales are all along the continental shelf waters, you know, slope waters. Uh, so it's just, it's just a hoot to come out and look at this stuff. Uh, and then if you have observations uh, they invite you to uh, invite the listener or they invite you guys to um, to send in your observations. So if you've seen something somewhere, send it in, and they will add it to the data portal. It won't be a published science paper. It'll be an anecdotal remark. But just getting that kind of, uh, you know, it's very rare to have eyes on the ground out there when, you know, like these new uh, canyon lands and seamounts. I'm thrilled that we're going to have lobstermen still lobstering out there because they'll be out there. There are eyes on the water. There are canyon rangers, and if they see things, here's a place that is interested in their observations, and they can put them up on it. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, the, the um, driving goal of the data portal is uh, to have a centralized source of the best available science. And so everything that you see on this data portal and I want to—I I definitely want to ditto your sentiment, uh, Rob. This is like seriously the coolest thing ever. I play with it all the time. Um, It's—it's it's the best available science that's been peer-reviewed, um, and it's sourced from federal agencies like NOAA um, to uh, leading researchers in the area, Woods Hole being one of them. Um, and it's uh, also been, um, it's ha- it has uh, data being added to it by nonprofits as well, like Surfrider, um, as well as SeaPlan, um, as well as the Nature Conservancy. And so um, it's, it's basically this, this entirely comprehensive, centralized source of excellent information and maps that all federal agencies 
um, in the regional planning body are pledging to use in their decision making. And so you have uh, data ranging from water quality to restoration and habitats, but you also have, you know, the Department of Defense um, and uh, national security. Um, you can see um, all of the uh, cables going through, um, you know, this region of the United States as well as uh, marine transportation and shipping routes um, and energy um, as well as recreation. It's, it's really an incredible tool um, and um, it's being updated constantly. And so I think um, while agencies are pledging to utilize this data, for everyday decision-making um, to identify stakeholders potentially um, in conflict with possible projects um, to ensuring really the overall best placement. Um, it's a great tool um, and anybody can use it. It's um, a public tool. Um, you know, proponents of possible applications like offshore wind could come on this um, and they can look at um, you know, areas that have the best sediment or, um, you know, areas throughout New England that could produce the most winds, have the best sediment, but also you can see, you know, where are the fishermen out there? Um, there's a lot of information on here about commercial fishing. Um, you can see, you know, where are, you know, species that are within the Endangered Species Act, um, you know, like right whales, like you said. Um, in doing so, and utilizing this tool, um, proponents as well as federal and state agencies can figure out exactly um, where are the clearly right places um, to begin to think about um, executing these decisions and projects versus places that are obviously big no-nos, right? Like, yeah. you know, the Department of Transportation clearly doesn't want to um, shift shipping lanes where there are lots of right whales or humpback rails or important spawning areas um, or where there's a lot of commercial fishing. Um, so it's, it's a great conversation starter. Um, it's, it's really an amazing clearinghouse of data that um, really gets, um, you know, people in ocean management on the right foot and moving in the right direction um, when it comes to making decisions. So it's, it's a real coup. Um, for the regional planning body, um, and it's very user-friendly at that. You know, I'm not a scientist, I'm a policy nerd, but I can use this thing. And if I can use this thing, I think anybody can, and it's, it's very user-friendly, and it's evolving daily. More data is being uh, incorporated as it comes in, as it's peer-reviewed. And so, you know, we can universally say this is, this is the best science we've got, and it's all in one area, and everyone can use it. That's right, and it highlights how much work has been done. You know, one agency, um, you know, interviewed um, recreational boats to figure out where they were traveling. The fishing mm -hmm. boats have fingers on them, so we can map those easily, but the recreational boats, that had to be surveyed, and they put it all together, and you can see lines of transport. One of my favorite pages is the habitat page, uh, because I know that... Um, you know, the monkfish love sandy bottoms to get down into, and the acacian redfish likes the, the muddy bottoms with, um, you know, sea anemones on it. And the cod and the haddock like to swim over gravelly, you know, kind of, um, yeah, gravelly bottoms. And then, um, you know, the big boulder reefs are where the wolffish like to reside and stuff. So there are all these different essential fish habitats, and you can see right here, you can, you know, bring it up, and here's the fine sand, and here's the, you know, here's the gravel, and... 
Um, and then you can zoom in, you know, so I can go up here and say, zoom in to Cape Cod. Okay, now we get to see where the, a lot of medium sand around Cape Cod, you know, what a surprise. Mm-hmm. Uh, but all the other different habitats is just fabulous. Yeah, it, yeah, really and this is. is a great tool to really understand regional trends, you know, and so if you really want to zoom in on, say, like Boston Harbor, you know, it, it's not pixelated enough, Um to do that, but you can see the regional trends really, um, you know, throughout large swaths of New England. But what's really awesome about that fact is that it's a conversation starter. And if you really want to get granular to a specific area, you have the state uh, ocean plans in Massachusetts and Rhode Island to really be able to do that to provide that type of mapping. And so um, it's it's really awesome how um, all of these plans have really kind of knit together um, to really ensure um, through various ways that, uh, you know, uh, things are moving smoothly and and there's uh, mitigated conflict throughout New England, not just along very specific areas. Um, It's very cool. It's really neat. I really encourage um, anyone listening to um, go to that website and and just tinker around with it. It's it's really, really interactive and um, very fascinating and you know, not only is this a tool that's going to be used um, for, you know, large-scale decisions like, say, wind turbines, um, I can also envision this Northeast Data Portal to be used, you know, in classrooms. It's it's really, really that that neat and that user-friendly. Yes. yes, it really is. The maps of each species of animal, you know, are just right there. It's so much fun for, you know, as a science teacher, I can really resonate with this stuff as you know, assigning things out to different students and stuff. It's just phenomenal. We're going to take a short break and be back with Amy Bushman after this talk, after this break. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. On a Cape Cod shore, 16 striped bass fish and a horseshoe crab were found dead, killed by a harmful algal bloom. The town blamed excessive lawn fertilizer for polluting the water. 
They restricted lawn fertilizing to once a year. The state overruled, mandating five times a year. Though the striped bass died on a Falmouth shore, fertilizer pollution is a national problem, clogging our waterways. If you believe in our rights to clean water and beaches, if you want to stop the killing of fish by excessive fertilizer, please join with us. Make a donation for responsible stewardship. Acting together, we can have clean beaches and more fish. Please visit www.donateforoceans.org. That is www.donate4oceans.org. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi, we're talking with Amy Bushman. Uh, from Conservation Law Foundation and NEON, the Northeast Ocean Network. And um, so we have this deep water wind project off of Block Island where they've built, what, six windmills and south of Martha's Vineyard. Uh, Amy, does that have any connection to the uh, planning process? Yeah, absolutely. I, um, it's, it's definitely a, a victory in ocean planning. I think that's without a doubt. Um, and so uh, the Rhode Island SAMP, I think, in, in many ways um, came to being because the state of Rhode Island recognized that it had this resource of wind, and they were interested to see how offshore wind um, could be incorporated into uh, the various uses um, off the coast of the state. And so um, as a result, the, the SAMP came to be. Um, and Deepwater Wind, the firm um, who has um, constructed the nation's first offshore wind farm, um, really utilized the SAMP. Um, and the state agencies um, really utilized this plan um, in order to, one, find um, the ideal location um, for offshore wind, um, you know, including where is it windy and where is the best, um, you know, bottom, ocean bottom for um, these pylons. Um, but then also it was utilized to identify the various fishing communities um, and fishermen um, who are in this area um, and to incorporate them early on into the conversation. And so as a result, um, I think it's easy to say um, that um, this, this process really was made much more efficient, way more transparent, um, and was really expedited um, as a result of, of really good ocean planning. Um, so the Rhode Island SAMP is a little bit different from the Northeast process in the sense that it does, um, it is, um, you know, largely focused, I think, in, in many ways on offshore wind. And so, um, you know, that's, that's, I think, the primary focus of this plan, whereas the Northeast plan um, focuses on all uses and is non-regulatory. That's a key distinction, but absolutely, I think both plans share 
um, similar tenets in ocean planning, which are good data, um, stakeholder engagement, um, and cross-sharing across various agencies. And so as a result, it, it's really um, a, a huge success story, um, not just for New England, but, you know, for the new frontiers in energy use and renewable energy, um, you know, across the nation for the country. Wow, yes. Um, it's, and then their information will circle back into um, the data portal, won't it, and stuff? So feedback mm-hmm. into it. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think that's certainly fair to say. And, um, you know, as the data gets better, I think the process will become better as a result. And so I think Deepwater Wind proved to be a great test case um, for using ocean planning. Um, but, you know, as, as they, you know, flip the switch, metaphorically speaking, and, um, you know, set this farm in motion um, and generating power, as that data is incorporated um, and new data is incorporated to help facilitate the use of the farm, um, I think, you know, other projects that pop up across New England will only, um, you know, be coordinated that much better as a result. And so um, it's awesome for Deepwater Wind um, to, you know, raise their hand and be the first to, to step up to the plate and, you know, look where we're at now. We're going to have a functional offshore wind farm um, off the coast of Block Island in Rhode Island, um, hopefully uh, later this fall. Well, wouldn't that be great? Because Block Island's paying so much for electricity because they bring in kerosene or fuel from the mainland on trucks. And, yeah. yeah, isn't that amazing? So I think that was, um, you know, one great thing to think about, um, and I think that really helped to, to get buy-in. Um, certainly, you know, reduces costs all around for coastal communities and islanders. Um, and the fishing community really had a great opportunity to provide an an enormous amount of input in the planning process. And so um, it's, it's a win-win, I think, all around. Um, but we're very excited. And um, you can kind of consider this to be, um, you know, uh, I guess a, you know, initial test project, um, 30 megawatts. Um, and uh, the exciting news is within the same leased area, deep water has begun the permitting process for a, a 15 turbine, uh, 90 megawatt project um, that's going to be um, serving or powering uh, Suffolk County, New York. Um, so it's, it's very exciting, and uh, and uh, it's going to be, you know, kind of a uh, a great exciting opportunity in the next few decades to just see how this new industry is uh, going to be, um, I guess, utilized and employed in New England, and uh, it's going to be really exciting to see how ocean planning can really help facilitate that process in a way that's, um, you know, a win for, you know, everyone out there on the ocean from fishing to recreation to, of course, energy and conservation and protection. Um, it's, it's an opportunity to, um, you know, really make sustainable decisions across all industries. That's great. Is the Southampton one going to be closer to um, Long Island, or is it going to be off of Block Island, or don't you know? I, you know, I'm actually not sure about that. I think it's within the same leased area, so I'm assuming, um, you know, A you lease know, area, around, yes. yes. Yeah, and so 
they already have that confirmed, and so they're, they've begun the permitting process for that. But what the larger timeline is for that larger farm, I, I don't know. But um, I do know that's an that's intended goal of theirs. Yeah, I understand there are three larger farms marching south and east of um, the Block Island one, further off from Block Island, further south of, um, or becoming more south of um, Martha's Vineyard. Uh, and so New Bedford is tooling up to be the industrial site where they can um, br- bring in by, you know, and, and put together the, um, the stanchions and the blades and all those big things that have to go out to, to build these stuff. Yeah, yeah, definitely, and I know, you know, there's also MW Offshore and um, Dong as well um, in the in a similar right. area closer off of um, Cape Cod and uh, the islands in particular. And so, um, I know they're going to be using the Regional Ocean Plan as well as the Massachusetts Plan as as tools to, um, you know, really get that off the ground. And so. Um, it's it's totally exciting. It's really really cool, and it's it's exciting that you know New England is really trying to think um, innovatively and proactively um, about how to um, you know welcome these new industries, but also um, keep protection and sustainability at the foremost in mind. And so um, you know the Northeast Plan um, is is based upon ecosystems based management, which you know essentially. You know, very simply put, um, and you can get way more complicated if you wanted to, but um, basically it's, it's um, you know, acknowledging that humans are a part in some way, shape, or form of uh, the marine ecosystem. And so um, when you make decisions about, um, you know, preserving marine life and, you know, healthy habitats for the long term, um, you know, you have to think about human processes as well. Um, in order to, um, you know, really have the greatest effect. And so um, the Northeast Ocean Plan embraces that concept, um, and uh, federal agencies are, um, you know, very much on board with that. And so um, it's going to be interesting, and I think, you know, deep water wind is certainly uh, an example of that. Yes, you know, that ecosystem-based management includes, you know, understanding the nursery grounds and essential habitats for the commercially valuable fish, and they were pleased to find that, you know, the sands where these windmills are going are not critical breeding, you know, areas for um, anything, um, commercially about anything, I guess. And it's fun looking at the whale charts because you can see the greatest diversity of whales is off those sandy, shoaly waters um, south of the vineyard and south of Block Island, but, you know, the, the, the greatest diversity of, of marine life is, is where the continent starts to end and slope down to deeper water and stuff. So it's, we finally got to the point where we have the science to be able, and we have the you know, ability to uh, tell who's what, where, when in terms of wildlife. And then they've done the work to talk to all the users to find out who the users are and are people who have a stake in this and uh, you know, when they have a stake in it and so forth. It's just remarkable. Uh, um, we just have a couple minutes, but... Um, can you tell us a little bit about the plans for uh, NEON, the Northeast Ocean Network, moving forward? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, NEON, the New England Ocean Action Network, um, you know, was very much involved in the multi-year planning process for uh, the Northeast Ocean Plan. 
um, and that included a lot of um, input um, as a collective group of stakeholders into um, what has resulted in the draft Northeast Ocean Plan. And so, um, you know, that was, I think, you know, highly impactful, and I think it was a great avenue for stakeholders to be able to amplify their voice, their collective voice around um, stakeholder engagement and ocean planning. Um, and so that was a wonderful experience. And so, um, you know, that's not over at all, right? So uh, the Northeast Ocean Plan is considered to be a living document, and so, um, and it's based upon adaptive management. And so this is a document that's going to be updated and improved over time because as you know better, you do better, right? Um, mm. And as you do better, you want to update the ocean plan to reflect um, those changes and to become more efficient. And so... With that, there's going to be lots of opportunities for stakeholders to provide input. Um, and furthermore, there's going to be a lot of opportunities and milestones to be achieved um, that I can, um, you know, be able to relay and educate NEON members about so that they stay abreast in uh, regional ocean planning in New England. But also, you know, what's really exciting is that implementation of the ocean plan is a totally different animal from planning and drafting of the plan. And so um, lots of new possibilities for NEON, which includes, um, you know, of course, continuing to provide input, but, you know, even more excitingly, really seeing how this plan is being used in decision-making. And so um, opportunities to weigh in and provide support or analyze how, you know, various offshore wind, um, you know, projects are using this ocean plan to fishing um, and how the fisheries council is using this. Um, so it's an opportunity to really use this plan and its daily use as an educational tool for stakeholders. And so I'm hoping for lots of webinars and speaking engagements and presentations and, and um, trying to think really creatively about ways that we can illustrate the benefits of this plan to stakeholders across uh, New England. And so um, it's, it's going to be an exciting new chapter, and um, I'm really excited to, to jump in, but first we've got to get this ocean plan approved, um, and we can see an implemented, or at least approved ocean plan by the National Ocean Council um, in late November, as soon as that. Oh, and great. Then, um, yeah, and then it'll be implemented, um, I believe, in this winter. So first in the nation, and um, it's, it's a big victory for New England, for sure. Well, Amy, thank you for taking the time to explain the Northeast Ocean Planning process and all the people involved and the complexities, and most of all, taking us for a walk into that uh, Northeast Ocean Portal, uh, which is www.northeastoceandata.org. Um, just thank you. Yeah, absolutely. It's always a pleasure, Rob, and um, again, um, for any listener out there who would like to learn a little bit more about ocean planning, uh, please don't hesitate to reach out to me or, you know, reach out to Rob and he'll connect us. No problem. But again, you know, check out the ocean plan um, and look at the uh, data portal. It's a cool way to spend your time and it's this incredible tool um, for New Englanders and um all across the nation. So, again, thank you, Rob, for having me. It's always thank a pleasure you. to be here. Thank you. Uh, if you want more information, you can also look at our homepage, www.oceanriver.org. Uh, our time is up. Thank you for listening. 
please take care of yourself first and then try to take care of the oceans too. Thanks. Thanks again for joining us this week on Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. Please tune in for more with Dr. Rob Moyer next Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk again then. Yeah.